Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of FML Talk. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I am so ready to dive into today's episode. I have been ready to dive into today's episode since I recorded it with Miss Terry Cole. I can't wait for you guys to hear this conversation. So sit back, grab a drink, and welcome to FML Talk. Oh my God. Wait, how old was the other girl? 19. Can you believe that shit? Hey, this is Gabrielle Stone. Good book. I did not in chapter 6 <gasps> He did what? 48 hours? What a dick. Yeah, but have you seen all the photos on our Instagram? And this is FML Talk. Oh, no, she didn't. Okay, you guys, seriously, this episode was fucking mind-blowing for me to record. Um, Terry Cole is a licensed psychotherapist, a leading relationship expert, and wrote the book Boundary Boss, which you guys go fucking get this book. I'm just going to say it right now. I got on this call with her. Because I was like, yes, boundaries. Let's talk about boundaries on FML Talk because so many people have issues with, you know, setting boundaries and sticking to them. And I ended up getting like a full on therapy session. <laughs> um, I am now aware that I am what they call a high functioning codependent. I, like probably some of you listening, had a very big misunderstanding of what it means to be codependent. Um, So it was just a really, really eye-opening interview with her. And she's just freaking awesome, too. I had such a blast. Seriously, the first thing I did when I got off the interview with her was go onto her website and take the really short quiz about what your boundary style is. Um, It's just, it was eye-opening for me on so many different levels. And we get into a lot of really, really great topics in this interview. I don't really need to tell you what it's going to be. Just have faith in me and let's dive the fuck in. So without further ado, here we go. Terry Cole, welcome to FML Talk. Hi, Gabrielle. I'm so pumped to be here. I'm so pumped to have you here. Um, When I found out about your book, uh, it was like a no-brainer that we needed to bring you on. because boundaries are something that I've struggled with. And I think any human on earth has struggled with. Oh, yeah. And especially anyone who is raised as a woman. Mm. What do you mean by that? That think about the way that what, what were the messages that we got as kids, at least I did, which was be a good girl, mm. be nice. It was like niceness was like some virtue way up here above all others, so to speak. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, listen, my parents wanted me to be an honest, you know, nice, normal person, but it was not like, wow, go you for being honest. It was like, Mm -hmm. be nice, be helpful. And this subtext is like, don't be a drama queen. Don't make problems. Don't complain. Right. So we were, most of us raised and praised to be self-abandoning codependents. Oh, Yes, I so. And that's coming from me who has a mother that was always like, speak your fucking truth. And I still (laughs) picked that up just from society because that's, especially as women, it's, it's so prevalent that we're supposed to be ladylike. And like, what the fuck does that even mean? It's so not good. What it really (laughs) means though, is that we, we come to this whole idea of personal boundaries, not just because my clients as a therapist for 25 years, my clients would be like, I'm just weak. How could I be in this situation again? What's wrong with me? I'm like, okay, how about, let's look at it like boundaries are a language that you're not fluent in the language. You know why? Hi, because nobody taught you it. Mm. And that's real. Like we wouldn't feel bad if we couldn't, you know, we couldn't wish ourselves into being fluent in French. You would understand right. you've got to do something to get those skills. And that it's not only were we not taught, we were given really like corrupted intel mm. about the way to be a good person, about the way to how to show our love. So much of the time, it really was like be compliant be helpful, Mm -hmm. which of course in adult life and relationships is not helpful. Right. Right. And very catastrophic in some senses. So I feel like we just jumped in because I was so excited, but let's back up. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell, tell all of my FMLers kind of like 
what your background is, how you came to write the the book Boundary Boss, which I just love the fucking title of in itself. Um, so give us your little spiel. Okay. So I, in my young life, I had a lot of, I had massively disordered boundaries. So I was a boundary disaster, as I like to say. And, mm-hmm. and one of the first stories in the book is that I was a bridesmaid eight times in my 20s. Wow. Eight. <laughs> that is a lot of ugly ass dresses right there. Right? So at least four of them, I definitely should have said no to, but I literally didn't know how. So it through my own therapeutic process, before I became a therapist, I was a talent agent negotiating contracts for supermodels and celebrities. And that was oh, really interesting. Right. And people are like, oh, it's so different. I was like, oh, it's so much the same. What do you mean? Right. Being a talent agent and a therapist or a lot alike, trust me. Ah. And I learned throughout my own therapeutic process to connect the dots to a lot of the painful experiences I was having. And for me, it showed up more like um, being lonely, even though I was in all, I was so social. I'm still so social, but I felt like people didn't really know me because if you say yes, when you really want to say no a lot, we think we're being nice. We do it to be nice. But what do you end up? Bitter as hell, right? You end right. up resenting the people. And instead of looking at my own behavior, I'd be like, I can't believe how entitled Betty is. What the hell's wrong with Betty? Not realizing that it was my own expectations. I felt like I had to say yes to things or help people when I was too tired, overgive, overfunction, auto advice giving. I mean, I could keep going, but yeah. it was exhausting. And so throughout my, my therapeutic process, once I got into therapy, which was, I was in college, I quit drinking with three months left of my college career. Like who does that? Oh Why God. didn't you just yeah. wait till the summer, you know? <laughs> but I just figured if I could stop now, I could stop, which I did. And of course that changed my life mm-hmm. in respect to being really wide awake all the time. And also realizing that how much I was using alcohol to numb feelings that I didn't want to feel. Mm. And I was suddenly feeling them all like, now, now I understand why I was drinking. But throughout that process, I realized that disordered boundaries was really the crux of my pain. But therapy was such a game changer for me in life that even though I had this trajectory of a career, so I was really at what my father considered the height of my career when I, <laughs> when I informed him I was going to go to grad school. And he was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're leaving this fancy job, this, you know, it looks a particular way. And I was like, yeah, man, because I'm not happy. Because really, I got to the point in my career where I was, there was no denying that the only thing I cared about was the mental health of my clients, getting people into rehab, you know, eating disorder clinics, everyone getting everyone into therapy. And I was trying to change this world of entertainment that can be so toxic, as you know, not a hotbed of mental health, we would say. Right. <laughs> and I was working to sort of, especially the modeling world, because I was in regular entertainment. And then the last like five years of my career is when I was really in the modeling world. And doing TV and film for that, but still, it's a different world. And I kept going to my boss. At that time, it was uh, Katie Ford, who was running Ford Agency. And I was like, you know, I think that we should have a policy that the bookers stop calling the models girls because they're women. And, you know, and she was just like, dude, (laughs) is this really the business you want to be in? So I did that for a couple of years. And then I realized, you know, I need to get out of here before I really start doing a crappy job because I didn't care about the Pantene deal or the movie contract. I was really like, what is the mental health of my clients like? So quit my job, even though no one understood why I would do that. Went to NYU, got my master's and immediately opened up a private practice. And I really specialized in highly visible people, not all of them, but a lot because of who I, you know, people like, oh, Terry became a shrink. Let's send her to those people, you know? (laughs) So it's sort of, it was a niche market in some way. But what I noticed when I opened my practice was that every person who walked through those doors, I could connect the dots of their pain back to a lack of this skill set, not being able to talk true, um, overgiving, having the disease to please, overfunctioning, doing things for other people that they can and should be doing for themselves too much emotional labor, feeling undervalued, being underpaid, 
all of those things fall into the category of disordered boundaries. So I saw it was a friggin' epidemic. It wasn't right. just like, oh, that was my life experience, which I knew because I have three older sisters and lots of friends. But it got me really interested because the amount that my life transformed when I was able to start talking true and setting limits. And, you know, the way that I describe it with boundaries, because there's so much out there, it could be so overwhelming where you're like, what does it even mean to have good mm -hmm. boundaries? So I just make it simple. It's you knowing your preferences, your desires, your limits, and your deal breakers, and having the ability to communicate them when you so choose. Right. That's yeah. just simpler. You know, when we think about boundaries, we can go, oh, it's like a fence around a house. And maybe mm -hmm. there's like, you know, violators will be prosecuted on a sign. So then you go, all right, well, that's, there's the boundary. And it's giving me the directive that if I come in, something will happen. The personal boundaries, obviously, are slightly more complicated than that because they're invisible and they're different for each person. Right. But anyway, longest way around the barn to get back to your question, which was mm -hmm. why this book? And I really just saw this incredible need and so much pain. And I had had so much pain in my life. And there really wasn't one out there that was like a step-by-step -step process. You know, some people, their books, you can open it up and be like, oh, look, page 99, something inspiring. My right. book is to be done from the beginning to the end because I'm walking the reader through the process. Mm. Yeah. And I think that's so necessary when we're talking about boundaries because it's something that everybody should have and be able to implement in their life. And almost no one really knows how to do it, mm -hmm. you know, unless they're very, very conscious of of what they're going through in their life. So there's so many different types of boundaries and some that have been coming up for me lately. Um, there's been this trend currently going around on TikTok that is, you know, basically a woman saying to her significant other, like, I'm really tired. I don't feel like having sex right now. Mm -hmm. And in return, being, you know, guilted or pressured in some way to cross that line anyways and have sex because they're in a relationship or because they're in a marriage or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it hit me so hard because that used to happen to me all the time in my marriage. Mm -hmm. I mean, my ex-husband, it was constant. It didn't matter if I was tired. It didn't matter if like we had done a zillion things that day. It, mm -hmm. it was like, if he wanted to have sex, it was, you know, imposed on me. And if I declined, I was then, you know, like made to feel guilty about it, which I think mm -hmm. is so fucked up, but I think so many people deal with that. So in that type of situation, other than like, you shouldn't be with someone like that. So leave, mm -hmm. what is your advice in as far as like around, you know, sex in a relationship? Because I think that gets misconstrued a lot as, you know, boundaries go. I totally agree that you're talking about sexual boundaries. So there's mm -hmm. like five basically types of boundaries, right? We have our physical boundaries, sexual boundaries are basically in there, mental, emotional, and material boundaries. So that's there's five categories. With sexual boundaries, again, sort of the myths and the talk about your downloaded boundary blueprint in the book, which is basically unconsciously the schema or the paradigm that you have around what is the way the world works, the way relationships work, what you should do. And so we learn certain things about if I am a loving wife, then, or it could be fear of rejection, or it could be fear of reprisal. If the person is then going to be withdrawn in anger or stonewall you or emotionally torture you, or say you're frigid or you don't care, or you're selfish or whatever, there's a million ways to be psychologically manipulated into being physical or sexual when you don't want to be. And yet, you're exactly right that if someone is doing that, that is a major problem because they're not just doing out when it, that when it comes to sex. Right. Someone who feels entitled that what they want should supersede what you want, that is someone who is not, does not have that empathetic connection to you how you feel should matter. 
Summer is here and life is not slowing down for us anytime soon. One of the things we have continuously relied on making our lives so much easier is factor meals. No prep, no mess, no cleanup meals. I have really been off the wagon with my eating since having my son, and for my health, my wellness, and my mental sanity, I have been switching my dinners to more healthy options from Factor. They have 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, so I never get bored. And Tay is continuously shocked every time he sits down to eat one because they are so freaking tasty. They have breakfast, lunches, dinners, and desserts. It's a treat to have restaurant-quality food that is so easy to prepare and doesn't come with the insane Postmates bill. Head to factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 and use code FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code FMLtalk50 at factormeals.com slash FMLtalk50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active. Enjoy, FMLers. So how do you handle that? Part of it is you talk about it when the person's not making a move on you. That's the first mm-hmm. thing is right. don't wait until, you know, you're so pissed and they go to reach for your leg and you're then like, get off me or whatever happens when you wait too long to set a limit. Having an actual conversation about it, saying, hey, I was thinking about what happened on Saturday and I really want to talk to you about how that interaction made me feel. Mm-hmm. Makes me feel unsafe. And I have to say, it's pretty much the furthest thing from an aphrodisiac that I right. can think of is being harangued into sex. And the fact that you would want me to do it, even if I'm not feeling it, even if I'm exhausted, even if it's not where I'm at, that is super concerning to me. Yeah, and gross. It's like, oh, it's, it's gross. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but that can't be part of our boundary script. Right, because- right, 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 right. <laughs> But it is. Inner dialogue. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, that's my inside voice saying, but it's also gross. It is. But think about, here's the thing. When you become a boundary boss, when you you get really dialed into who you are and what you want, knowing your deal breakers, right? That's one of the categories of like the non-negotiable shit in your life. Somebody pressuring you for sex, I say, should be a non-negotiable. You pressuring Mm -hmm. someone for sex should be a non-negotiable. Now, let's be clear. That's not to say that in some relationships, you have a disparity in desire and frequency desire and all of those things. That's that you need to work out as a couple. Right. But pressuring someone to do what they're not feeling to do is not, that's not working out like in a healthy way that would be actually be sustainable. So I think that it's really important to realize that your sexual boundaries are your own. And when you, what I was going to say, and then I lost my train of thought, but it just came back. Mm-hmm. When when you um, become a boundary boss, you know how you feel and what you want. You know what is a deal breaker for you. You have the ability to be like, no man. And what happens is instead of, when your boundaries are really disordered, it's like being a little boat. And then your life is like this tumultuous ocean and you're just like, just trying to not drown, basically. We're just going with the flow. We're just trying to avoid conflict. We're just like, I don't want this person to be mad at me. I don't want this person to be upset with me. I'm trying to just avoid all that. When you know what you want and who you are through this process and have the ability, and we always start with small baby steps with low priority people. So I would never, I'd never think that people should start with the most important people in their life. If you've sort of been a, a pushover and I have, um, a free quiz that people can take at boundaryquiz.com. Oh, which, nice. Which will give you one of the archetypes. So you could be a peacekeeper, a pushover, the loner, an ice queen. In the way that you respond when your boundaries are disordered, which doesn't mean that's every day all the time, but especially when we're under pressure, mm-hmm. there's a tendency to have them be less healthy than they could be. So once you figure that out, you realize that you are the person who has to dictate your own reality. It's not what other people say unless you believe it. It's like, you know, in, in you know, entertainment terms, we would say, you're not just the star of the movie of your life. You're the writer, the director, the producer. 
Mm-hmm. We come in alone and we go out alone. And no amount of approval from someone else, if they're really not, if they don't really know you and they're not really interested in how you feel, that is not, at the end of your life, you're not going to be like, wow, I wish I put up with Bob's shit for more decades. Like you won't. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Okay. Interesting. So that was under physical. Um, Let's go into one of the other, uh, tell me the other four again. So um, emotional, mental, material, and Physical and sexual. So there's five. So we did we kind of okay. did the physical. Because physical also though encompasses, you know, you ever have a close talker, someone who's mm-hmm. just too close for your comfort. And right. we may, we will naturally step back to to gain more of our personal space. Mm-hmm. If the person then steps forward again, then you have to make a verbal boundary like, oh, hey, Bob, can you back it up a teeny bit? You're squishing me right. or, or whatever right. you would say, or just using your hand. Mm-hmm. Your your physical, your your body language can be such a powerful either support for your boundaries mm-hmm. or a way to sabotage your boundaries. Mm, so it's important, you know what I mean, to be dialed into if you're telling Bob to back up, then don't be leaning forward into him, right? Your, right. <laughs> your body language, you want it to be aligned with your goal, whatever that boundary yeah. is. Interesting. Okay. And so what about mental? What are some examples of that? It's basically knowing what you think. Being able to mm. hold on to your opinion, even if you're talking to someone who thinks differently, it also means not flipping out if someone doesn't agree with you or has a different opinion than you. I mean, listen, it's not your job to convince other people, but you know, everyone is different and truthfully, everyone has a right to their opinion. So it's when you know who you are and you have good mental boundaries, you can maybe have a spirited debate without taking it all so personally. Um, And if you have more of the chameleon type boundaries, you are very influenced, which are disordered boundaries, very influenced by the relationship that you're in or the people that you hang around with. And I was, of course, teens in my 20s. I was just a total chameleon. It didn't matter. If my boyfriend was into rap, I was suddenly, you should just see what my hoop earrings were like down to my knees, you know, (laughs) because I wanted their acceptance and their love and their whatever. And I didn't know who I was. Mm-hmm. So, but, but those are also things that eventually you want to grow out of and figure out who you are because that's important. So that, that's a um, mental boundary. A mental boundary violation is someone saying, you know, what you think is stupid, right? Like that's none of their business mm-hmm. or you don't know what you're talking about. Right. Um, yeah. So, so that's mental. Emotional boundaries are, I'd say for women in particular, probably, I just led a weekend retreat at Omega and I, in, in uh, Rhinebeck, New York, and 97% of the participants, and it was all women because it was specifically for women, said that emotional boundaries were the ones they, that was, they were the most challenging for them. And I was mm-hmm. like, wow, if that is the case, that's, and, and for me too in my life. So what does that mean? Emotional boundaries means that you know what is on your side of the street and what is on someone else's side of the street. You, you know that you're, what your emotions are, but that you're not responsible for the emotions of other people. So when we have disordered emotional boundaries, that can come in the form of codependency, where when something is happening to someone you love, it feels like it's happening to you, mm-hmm. you being an auto advice giver. You being trying to fix everything for other people and thinking that you know what they should do, always, you know, telling people, always attracting people like the broken wing bird syndrome, you know, they need help. You (laughs) help them and then they fly away once their wing is mended like that. So is that an emotional boundary that you yourself are violating or that you're not putting up strongly enough? Well, it's interesting with codependency at the base of codependency. So my, my definition of codependency is being overly invested in the feelings, states, the decisions, the outcomes, the circumstances of the people in your life to the detriment of your internal peace or your financial or physical well-being. Now I say to the detriment because listen, as lovers of people, Of course, we're invested in their happiness. Like, of course, you want the people that you love to be happy, obviously. But if the way anyone listening can tell, if they're like, I don't know, am I codependent? Am I not? Is that when your best friend calls you and has an issue, check your urgency. 
Like, is the first thing you're doing is making suggestions? Is the first Mm -hmm. thing you're doing Google, you know, being like, I have a friend, I'm going to get in touch with them right now and I'll get this information for you. And I have three books that I just underlined and like getting into action, feeling like their issue actually becomes your issue. Oh, okay. So then what you're saying is I have emotional boundaries (laughs) issues (laughs) because that's me. I'm the person that like, when people call me, I'm like, okay, how can I fix whatever you're telling me for you or help you? Yes, that's an emotional boundary issue. Okay. And it's also, I mean, codependency is something, and I write pretty extensively about it in the book because I didn't identify with the term codependent. I was like, what are you, nuts? Everyone comes mm-hmm. to me. I'm not dependent on shit, lady. I am the one who <laughs> all the dough. I'm, You know what I mean? This was the same attitude, of course. Then I got into therapy and was like, oh, wait. I think I just didn't understand. Like I was going from the <laughs> Melody Beatty, you know, um, codependent no more. You must be involved with an addict and be an enabler type of codependency. Mm. In my own life, that's not what it was. And for my clients who were mostly super high performing, high functioning women, they none of them, I would say, hey, that that seems like a codependent pattern. They'd be like, no, 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 you misunderstand. I'm like, no. I think you don't know what codependency is. You're like, no, bitch, I'm a therapist. Like, that's literally why you're here. <laughs> I definitely understand. <laughs> and so I changed the name. I actually created an, a different definition called high-functioning codependency. Mm. Because that is what I was and what I'm in recovery from. And that is really what my clients have been as well. So meaning you're doing it all. And because you're so highly capable... It's like, you know, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, right? She was doing everything he was doing except doing it backwards and in heels. That's Mm -hmm. a high-functioning codependent where it's like people look to you and would never think of you as codependent. But when we get to the base of codependency, what is it? It is an overt or covert bid for control. Mm. Does it make sense? Like your friend is in pain. You don't want her to be in pain. Right. Your desire is to help her get out of pain. But I had a situation, and quickly I'll tell you how this transformed for me, is that one of my sisters was in a bad situation, living with someone who was abusive. She was drinking alcoholically. That person was doing crack. She literally lived in a house in the woods without running water. That's no exaggeration. And he was also abusive. Fantastic. So it was a terrible situation. And I was always crying to my therapist about what can I do? I don't know what to do. So I remember I was just at my wits end. I had been trying to throw money at it, trying to get her to leave, trying to do all the things like a good codependent sister would do. Mm. And I said to my therapist, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like, I don't know when I was crying. And she said, Terry, let me ask you something. What makes you think you know what she needs to learn in this lifetime? Mm. And I was like, okay, but can we at least agree she doesn't need to learn it in a fucking house in the woods without fucking running water? Is that possible? Right, right. And she said, no, because I'm not God. I don't know what she needs to learn. But do you know what is actually happening? And I was like, clearly I don't. So fill me in, Bev. And mm-hmm. she told me, she said, listen, you've worked for 20 years, 15 years to have a really pretty harmonious life. You have a decent amount of internal peace. But you've been working on yourself straight for like decades. And so your sister's dumpster fire of a life is really fucking with the piece that you spent lots of money and lots of time creating. So it Mm -hmm. doesn't mean that I also don't love her and didn't want her in that terrible situation. That's true too. But she was like, you want her life to be manageable so your pain can end. Mm. And you can go back to this nice life that you've created for yourself without feeling terribly guilty, which I really did. Mm -hmm. And I was like, but wait a minute, as a sister, isn't it like my job? Like what I'm just giving up on her? Is that what you're saying? And she's like, no. How about you're having respect for her sovereignty? You, you, she can only do this. It's it's a losing proposition, Tara. Like you can't even do it. And you, by throwing money at it and doing these other things, you're probably impeding 
the process of her getting to her bottom in this situation. So I ended up, t- you know, stepping back from my sister saying, listen, I love you, but I can't hear about this abusive asshole all the time. Like, no. So if you ever really want to get out, I'm still here. I love you. So in like nine months, we only spoke like a few times. And then mm-hmm. she called me and said, I'm ready to get out. She got out. She got sober. She went back to school. And that was a really long time ago. Wow. The amazing part of that story and about what I learned is that I felt guilty if I wasn't doing it. But when I understood psychologically what was happening and what I was trying to do, it made me have to deal. And that was a major boundary to set. Mm -hmm. I, I could never have done it if I hadn't had years of therapy ever. But when my sister came out of it and got herself back to school and, you know, my husband and I helped her with different things, but that was her. It wasn't me inserting myself into the center and being the hero so then she could feel do you know what i mean like indebted to me rather than proud of herself oh my god there there's so much to unpack there and i'm like i feel like i'm slowly realizing that i'm a high functioning codependent which is awesome um (laughs) so it's interesting because I obviously, you know, my whole, the book and the podcast, like I get messages every day, like dozens. And because I value so much the people that go on this journey with me and what it brings up for in them and how they are are healing, I answer every message that comes in about, about the book, like if it's about the book. Um, and I have some of my, my FMLers that are like, how do you do it? How do you respond to all of it? You know? And there are, there's times where, you know, I pages and pages of paragraphs that come in and I I have had thoughts in the past where I'm like, this is eventually going to not be manageable for Um, me. Dude, can I say something? Yes. (laughs) It's already currently right now unmanageable. Right, right. Which is why I'm talking about it. Yes. <laughs> but it's so it's so important to me for for them to feel like I am here with them and understand. And I think my mom, you know, because she's she's a world energy healer, um, mm-hmm. and she has clients all over the world. So she a lot of times will get panicked calls from people and they're like, I need you right now. And she's like, guys, my friend's dying from cancer. Like I can't. Yeah. I can't do it. And I yell at her for not putting up boundaries and being like, you need to stop. But then I'm over here doing it on a different scale. So how do you find the happy medium of wanting to, you know, be there for people and support and connect with people, but also protecting or even not even protecting, like knowing where the fucking line is, because I think that's where my issue is. Yeah. Here's the thing. You get way too many inquiries to be responding to them yourself. that That's a fact. So if people want to ask you a question publicly, this is my rule. Like I, I can't be giving free therapy to everyone, not because I want the money, because I don't have the time. Because I would not ever sleep if I did that. And of course, I got to a point where it was way too much long before the book. But so I have my assistant, I have people on my team, I have communication people where if someone asks me a question, on YouTube. I have a pretty big YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. I pretty much do answer most of those questions myself because they're Mm -hmm. therapeutic. So like who else could do it? Right. And I don't, I wouldn't say it was me if it wasn't me, because that's weird too. But you can have a message that says for the sheer volume of the inquiries that we get, I can't answer everyone personally. If you have a public forum that people can ask them at, great. You can answer them there, but there has to be a limit. And, and I think that really looking at what is the fear if you, if you, if you set a limit, is it that you, well, you tell me, I, I don't know. I mean, I can, I can guess, but I'm not going to. So what is the feeling if you don't do it? What are you afraid will happen or what do you fear? Um, I think it's just the fact that when people read the book, I know how personal it is for me and they feel like they're my best friend by the end of it, which I love. Um, and I don't want them to be disappointed in who they think I am based off of reading it, which is very much so who I am. Like they do really, really know me from that. Oh yeah. Um, but it's a fear of them being let down, um, by me not giving enough after the fact. Okay. So every time you think 
I don't want them to think. I don't want them to feel. Those are both codependent thoughts. Yeah. Because what they think and what they feel is their side of the street. Mm -hmm. And what you think and what you feel is your side of the street. So it's like you know that your heart is in the right place from your book, from the, from the, how, how heartfelt your whole entire story is and what an open book you are. You can tell the truth. I want to answer everyone, but if I do, I will do nothing else in my life. But this, I love you. I'm thinking of you. I'm going to be live on Instagram here. So part of it is it requires people to take more effort to find you and to have a piece of your energy because now there's the more of the world is, is glommed onto your light, right? Mm-hmm. And yet, if you don't, here, here's the upside of doing it, of setting a boundary that feels good to you. I'm giving you some ideas, but of course, you'll come up with works, what works for you, is that if you don't, you will eventually burn out, like in a real yeah. way, because we don't have the power as humans to control how over-functioning or over-giving, how it impacts the way that we feel. So these same people that you love so much, that you such kindred, you know, they're your FL Mellers. Like, it's like, that. that's it. Like, these are your people. Yeah. But they'll understand and they'll want the best for you. They want you to be happy and healthy. And so a lot of times if I'm, if I'm um, conflicted with my own crew, I'll just honestly say, what's happening so that you know what I mean like if you write to me and you want to put it on a public forum then I'll do my best to answer it because then it will help thousands of other people and to me um, I'll I'll do that I'm willing to do that but I and you can't listen you are at a point already in your career where you've probably been doing this long past the deadline of when (sighs) your bandwidth could actually continue doing it you know yeah yeah. Mm. I mean, I, I do have a, a quite a big bandwidth, but yeah, there's been times where I've, <laughs> I've looked at my boyfriend and been like, I feel like I haven't put my phone down all day and I'm about to spontaneously combust. And I know yeah. it's, yeah. Um, but here's so- the thing with the capacity though, Gab, let me just say this quick because it's really important. Just because you have a crazy vast capacity, and I know that you do because you're definitely a high functioning codependent, just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. Right. Yep. And I know that. Oh my God. Interesting. So I like, I got on to do a fun boundary interview with you and I'm now officially a high functioning codependent. Fuck me guys. (laughs) Um, Okay. Let's pivot a little bit. I want in your book, you write about the three cues for clarity. Can you talk Mm -hmm. to me a little bit about that? I sure can. So Freud had this, this uh, concept, repetition compulsion, which is like, as humans, we have a compulsion to repeat dramatic or traumatic experiences, which of course sounds counterintuitive, but we do. So even if, let's say you grew up and your parents had an abusive relationship and you go, um, that's never going to be me. And then before you know it, you're growing up and you're in an abusive relationship and you're like, how? Repetition compulsion is how. So from that, we can end up having what I call repeating boundary realities where we're like, how am I here again? I mean, you, you had two experiences very close together yeah. of, of betrayal. So it's almost like that could be some kind of a repetition from what, what you wrote in the book. So when we're in that situation, we're talking about having a transference, right? Let's say you're in a situation where you kind of know that your reaction to something was like bigger than the thing really called for Mm -hmm. and like, or you're very upset or um, can't sleep. You're ruminating about something. Usually that means you're having some kind of a transference reaction, which means that you're responding now today, Mm -hmm. but you're being triggered by an unresolved injury from the past. So maybe someone reminds you of someone else or the tone of voice or what they said. And that kicked up an injury that still is sticky in some way or activates it in some way. So how do we know these things? So let's say for anyone who's like, wow, I've been in the same relationship with different people for 10 years. You would think about the person and ask the three cues are this. Who does this person remind me of? Mm. Where have I felt like this before? And how or why is this behavioral dynamic 
right? Whether it's I'm pursuing the person and then they're moving away or whatever the behavioral dynamic is, how is it familiar to me? Mm. Which means you could have been in it before or you could have witnessed that dynamic in your childhood. So how does this help us, right? Asking the three cues. So let's say someone goes, oh my God, I just had a realization. All my exes have been basically my father in a different formation. Okay, how does that help us? Well, first of all, it explains the amplified response and tells you that there's something about your relationship with your father, whether the person is alive or dead, that needs your attention, that there's some injury that has still got some heat in it. So you go back and go, okay, so what does this bring up for me? What do I think about when I think about this person? So that's one valuable thing is to understand like, oh, this person was familiar to me because part of the repetition is that when you're growing up, if you grew up in a family, let's just say, where love and pain went like this, this is what you saw. Even if you intellectually say, I don't want that. When you, we're always vibing with other people. We're all energy. Everyone knows this, right? We're always communicating, not just our words, but energetically we're communicating. You'll see someone and let's say they're kind of a tough guy type the way that your father was, let's say, not yours, but in general, Mm -hmm. there's a part of your brain that's like saying appropriate mating material. So we need to get that unconscious stuff, which I say is in the basement of your mind, right? That's your unconscious mind. So when you start to bring this stuff up by seeing your um, blueprints, your downloaded blueprint, your love blueprint, it makes sense to you. You're like, oh my God, now I see why I was so comfortable, even though I wasn't happy in that relationship. Yeah. So anyone who's like, I want to understand why I'm having this repeated experience in my life with boundaries, with relationships, you ask those questions and that can give you clarity. And let's just say you ask the questions, wait, two things. One, if asking the questions doesn't mean the other person didn't do something messed up in real life, right? Mm-hmm. It doesn't absolve them. Maybe, maybe they did act like a jerk. All we care about is why did you respond or react the way that you did if it felt out of control or if it felt um, amplified, right? right. Um, I think that was the last thing I was going to say about it. Oh, one more well, thing. Wait, yeah. Hold on, one more thing. Really quick. If that didn't help, if, if those things were like, I'm not sure, you can ask this other clarifying question, which is when I'm in that dynamic with that girlfriend, that boyfriend, that person, my boss, who do I become metaphorically and who do they become metaphorically? Mm. You may become your 10-year-old self. They may become a punitive parent. Big time. Um, So it's so interesting because in the second book, I write a lot about my relationship with my current boyfriend. And he has such a similar essence to my dad, who I lost when I was Mm -hmm. a little girl. And I mean, even my mom recognizes it. She's like, he's just got the same essence and the same vibe that your father had. And for so much of our relationship, I had like my hand up at him because I was terrified that he was going to die like my dad. And it was too, I mean, I was aware of it eventually. It was a subconscious at first, but then like I, I was aware of it and it was too big of a fucking fear for me to walk through. It was just like, I can't. And it, it, it didn't make sense to my conscious mind. It was like, okay, yes, he's older. Yes, he's got a similar essence to your dad, but that, you know, you could walk out and get hit by a bus tomorrow. That doesn't mean he's going to like up and die on you. But it was like cellularly programmed into my body. So when people come up to, to a wall like that, what's your, what's your thoughts on trying to let some of that go once you get to what it is? Well, you really have to nurture the child within your seven. Oh my God, I self. love that you said that. So that's literally what I talk about in the book. It's called the origin experience. And it's going back to whenever that trauma happened yep. and talking to that little, oh, love that that was your answer. Yes, it, it's the truth. And I have to say, you know, Gabrielle, it's like before, before I became a therapist, when people would talk about like child within work, I was all like, yeah, okay, like right. whatever. <laughs> it's not even like a real thing. I don't even know what you're talking about. And then I became a therapist and I could not believe 
I mean, it's undeniable from like my fourth week in my private practice, mm-hmm. how all of us have this little girl or little boy inside of us or little human inside of us. And every phase where we had a traumatic or a painful something, there is this possibility of getting a little bit stuck there or having something in this current life remind us of that experience. Yours is such a, it's such a clear example mm-hmm. of he reminded you of your dad such a terrible, painful loss at such a young age that it would make sense that you're like, oh my God, if I let this person close to me and then somehow they get abducted by aliens, I will be annihilated. Like if they, or betray me or, you know, die. I mean, that's what the little girl is saying. Yeah. But in embracing and in healing. And for those of you, if you don't know, if you're in this crew, then you probably do know about a little bit about (laughs) child within work. But one really beautiful thing that you can do if you're not that in touch with the little kid inside of you is I love just taking a a picture, maybe under the age of five, if you have one, anybody, and having it as your screensaver on your phone and maybe on your your, laptop. And every time you see that little cute face that is you just beaming that little human with love and realizing that you are them Mm -hmm. that nothing anything bad that's happened to you in your life you didn't deserve you didn't deserve to lose your dad at that age I didn't deserve to lose mine when I did like it's you know what I mean how we can be so punitive and and harsh with ourselves and it's such a great reminder to just beam your little self with love and realize you are her or him you know yeah oh I so love that um I think it's it's so important to be able to recognize that there is that little child within us and to talk to them often because a lot of times when we have fear-based knee-jerk reactions to experiences, it's because of something that that little child is still holding on to. And when you can really get in touch with them and have them let that go, it changes everything in your current reality. Without a doubt, it's so wild how healing something from the past, it's like putting on different glasses in the yes. present. You're yeah. like, wow, it's like everything was was gray or was unclear. And suddenly you're like, I understand yeah. why so many things happened, you know? Yeah. So you said earlier, you talked a lot about um, this boundary blueprint. Can you tell us how you can create a boundary blueprint? Yes. Well, you already have a boundary blueprint. So that's one that's downloaded. How do you, how do you produce one that is good for you and that, right. <laughs> right, that will produce what you want? Well, in order, before we can change it, we really have to know what it is. So we actually have to, there's a bunch of questions and I have a whole shitload of questions in the book in, in this part of the exercise where, and anyone listening, you can think of it right now, whoever your maternal impactor was, right? Could be a mother, foster mom, auntie, whoever, mm-hmm. were they a pushover? Were they a boundary bully? Mm-hmm. Were, were people afraid of them? Was nobody afraid of them? <laughs> Did they Were they have a high-functioning codependent like my exactly. mother? <laughs> and mine. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we learn from the best. <laughs> I love it. Um, you know what I mean? Like that yeah. That's really what it is because we, it's not just your maternal impactor. That's one thing. It's your parents, the country you grew up in, the culture, what was expected of you, socioeconomic, social norms come into play as well. And then in your boundary blueprint, your nature also impacts that. Are you an introvert? Are you an extrovert? Um, what life experiences you've had? So all of those things come together and that equals the way that you relate to boundaries personally and professionally right now. So we reveal that so you can see like, oh my God, my mother said yes when she wanted to say no all the time. And then she did badmouth those people or she was upset with those people or she allowed herself to get sick because she overgave and overgave until she ended up with whatever. Like mm. we can start to see, we just need to know what to look for. So when you do your downloaded blueprint. And then we basically do an, an inventory, like a relationship inventory. And when people always say like, I don't know where I need boundaries or I don't, I don't, I'm confused, which I totally understand. I always say, listen, let's just start with a resentment inventory. Ready, go. 
Who are you pissed off at right now? Who do you feel like takes advantage of you? Who do you feel underappreciated by, unseen by, unheard by? Mm -hmm. Who do you um, twist yourself up in a pretzel for, rearrange your life for, and they're not really that grateful or you wish you weren't doing that? So once you, then you go, oh, look, I have a lot of resentment towards this sister or that cousin or this friend or this stepmom, whoever. At least that narrows it down of like, okay, where do I need to start? <laughs> like, these are relationships I need to start with. And the blueprint itself, when you, or they can take the, go to boundaryquiz.com and take the quiz because you'll be able to see if you have porous boundaries, which are mm-hmm. too malleable, or rigid boundaries, which are exactly what they sound like, too hard or too big, too reactionary to the situation. That really helps you understand when you feel threatened how you express that disordered boundary Mm. and gives you, you know, I I mean, I have a lot of meditation stuff in the book as well. I'm a meditation teacher. I've got meditation CDs because we've got to have some internal space, right? Right. A little bit of stillness and silence if you're going to change this dance. So that was a long answer to the boundary blueprint question, but you guys have the information, meaning I'm nobody's guru. I'm just showing you where to look. Like I'm a damn good GPS mm-hmm. for getting people, getting readers to where the information is that they need in all these closed up boxes in the unconscious mind or the basement where we got to kind of revisit some of this stuff. Because once you understand, you know, the, the five pillars of self-mastery, according to me, it's self-awareness, self-knowledge, self-acceptance. Like those are the things that happened in my life. And this is the way they impacted me. Yeah. Self-compassion, which mm-hmm. is like we all suck at. And then yep. <laughs> self-mastery, self-love, self-celebration. Mm, I love that. Those are great. I feel like I need to write those out and tape them on my mirror to look at every day. Like those are big. Yes. And I have I have a special thing that I want to give to your people if you want it. I think you do. Oh my God. Yes. Give them everything you have. <laughs> give them all the things. Well, you can get the book at boundarybossbook.com, but I'm going to give you a special thing for just you guys where it's about boundaries and codependency. Oh, I love it. Yes. Oh, I'm so excited. And you'll do an inventory cool. that I was talking about. So it'll give you some of the tools that we were talking about today. So the, the, you, to go to that, you're going to go to boundaryboss.me forward slash FML. I love it. Oh my gosh. That's so amazing. I, first of all, I, I'm going to go there and um, <laughs> say it one more time just so I'm sure I know that everybody got it, please. Boundaryboss.me forward slash FML. Oh my God. Amazing. Terry, this has been so, so eye opening on so many levels. Um, and so just really honest and real about what so many people go through. Can you tell everybody where they can find you and follow you and where they can get the book and all of the things? Sure. You can get the book at boundarybossbook.com and anywhere else that books are sold. But if you go to boundarybossbook.com, I have a just always overgiving. So I have tons of amazing bonuses, videos and downloaded meditations, just all kinds of things to support this journey. If you're pivoting into becoming a boundary boss, I hang out mostly on Instagram, just at Terry Cole. Um, TerryCole.com is my website. Terry, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge and just your energy is so great. It was so lovely to have you here. And um, I can't wait to, to like get into all of your stuff because now I feel like I have a whole new thing that I need to start working on. Boundaries, guys. <laughs> boundaries are coming. Let's do it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. It was a blast. Oh, thank you. I want to thank Terry so much for coming on and unknowingly analyzing me and really just sharing so much fucking truth and wisdom about what it means to set boundaries and how to identify certain boundaries. It was just really exciting for me to hear how much work there is to be done on a personal level when it comes to setting boundaries. Um, And I hope you guys know how much I love you all dearly. And that's why I try and answer every single freaking DM that I get. Um, But it's it's exhausting. So I lovingly tell you to 
don't DM me about how your cat's doing. DM me when it's important um, because I love you, Saul, so much that I sometimes do compromise myself to try and make sure all of my FMLers are happy and taken care of because I love you guys. And on that note, we are going to jump into some of your FML stories. Here we go. Hi, Gabrielle. My name is Jen, and I have a story for you. I was on and off with someone for about the last year. I had feelings for him, and I thought he felt the same. He told me in the beginning that he wanted a relationship, but he needed to get himself together and to be patient with him. I started getting really anxious and had the feeling something was wrong, but I stayed despite the red flags. I started getting suspicious that there was another female, one in particular, that he was working with after some digging. Just recently, I received a phone call in the middle of the night from his girlfriend of two years, the same girl I had suspected. He apparently got drunk and passed out and she had gone through his phone and started calling some of the girls that she was seeing conversations with. Apparently, there were a lot of girls. All of us manipulated, lied to, and fed the same excuses. Turns out his best friend that had set him and I up was in on all of it, and it was a game to the both of them. Lesson behind all of this, if it feels wrong, it is wrong. Oh, Jen, why do men? (laughs) That's it. Like just that. Why do men? I will never understand how people have the time or fucking energy to have multiple people in their life. Um, And that poor girl, his girlfriend of two years, like that's fucking terrible. But yeah, this is a perfect example, ladies and gentlemen, of pay attention to the intuition, pay attention to the fucking feeling in the pit of your stomach because nine times out of 10, there's a fucking reason for it. All right, here's story number two. Hi, Gabrielle. Okay, I'm going to try to keep this story as concise as possible, even though it's very difficult to do. But here is the nutshell highlight reel version. So I'm hanging out with this typical Daniel type of narcissistic crazy person. We'll call him Gary. Insert long backstory here about Gary bending over backwards to try and win my affection, taking me to dinner, buying me flowers, buying me jewelry, the whole nine yards, like they always do. So we're hanging out one day. Gary brings up the idea of us going to this music festival in New Orleans. I say, cool, let's do it. I'm down. So the whole time he's hyping up this trip, saying he's going to pay for my ticket. He's booking us this gorgeous romantic Airbnb in the French Quarter. This is going to be our trip, blah, blah, blah. So Gary arranges a group of people to come with us, half guys, half girls. Now, I don't think anything of it because I'd been to other music festivals with him in mixed groups of people exactly like this in the past. So I didn't think anything was off. The day of the trip finally comes. Our group meets up super late at night. It's like 11 p.m. We're going to drive overnight from North Carolina to Louisiana. So I'm riding in one car with Gary, his roommate, and another girl. We'll call her Marie. And I'm already feeling like shit just isn't adding up because Marie, I'm listening to her talk to Gary. She's just being overly flirtatious with him, talking about times they've hung out, things they've done together. Yet he has never once mentioned this girl's name to me, but I'm not really putting all the pieces together yet. So because we're driving overnight, I just want to sleep through the whole thing. I pop an ambient, I pass out. When I finally wake up, we have arrived in New Orleans. I'm awake, but I'm still very disoriented from the ambient. We're driving around trying to find parking that's near the Airbnb. We finally park, and as soon as I step foot on the sidewalk, I get out. Marie walks up to Gary, leans in, and they kiss. That's when I knew this was not going to be an ordinary trip. I am now in New Orleans, didn't drive here, no way of leaving, supposed to go to a three-day music festival with these people who I don't even really know. My stuff is still in the trunk. Basically what follows is an insane shit show of a trip with so many side plots and characters and just absolute fucking chaos. Wait, (laughs) what the actual fuck, Gary? Um, That shit's like out of a movie. That that doesn't even sound real. That sounds like uh, the beginning of a weird fucked up horror film that I'm seeing in the theaters. Uh, wow, girl. Thank you so much for submitting that gem. Um, and I, I, I want to know so many things. Like, what did the girl think was going to happen on the trip? Like, did she know who you were? And like, so many things. I need to know so many things. <laughs> that was a, that was a good one. Thank you for submitting that. 
next week, I have a guest coming on. Her name is Alyssa Deneen. And at the age of 41, after 18 years with her ex, she found herself in the uncharted territory of online dating. (laughs) And after that shit show, she made a fucking business around it. I cannot wait for you guys to hear this interview. It is a wild story. As always, keep up with us on Instagram at FML Talk Podcast. Make sure you're subscribed so you never miss an episode. For all the extra good stuff, come hanging with us on the subscription-based site, which is patreon.com slash FML Talk for all the bonus episodes and all the good extras that we have on there. And until next week, y'all, I am sending you love, set those motherfucking boundaries, and have a self-love cocktail on me. Cheers. Welcome to As a Woman, Fertility Hormones and Beyond. I'm your host, Dr. Natalie Crawford, and I am a fertility physician and co-founder of Fora Fertility in Austin, Texas. We will talk about a wide range of topics, including the menstrual cycle, your hormones, infertility, IVF, mental health, and well, beyond. So join us and become part of the community of collaboration that amplifies others as a woman. This podcast has been brought to you by Podcast Nation.